So tonight, I want clarity. First of all, we want to welcome any guests that we have here tonight. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. All of our guests, we welcome you. You may be a guest and you're like, what in the world are these people talking about? <laughs> what we're talking about tonight is practical Christianity. And the, and the subject that I want to address is I want to talk about clothing. And this isn't something we do every Sunday, but it is something that is in the Bible. And it's something I think that deserves our attention if we're going to be serious about our relationship with God. But that being said, if you are our guest here, first of all, we want to roll out the red carpet. Thank you for being here tonight. And so tonight's message, this message tonight that I'm preaching is for River of Life saints and church members. So if you're a member of another church, you're visiting here, you're a guest, this is your first time here, maybe you're even brand new and you're trying to work through these things, I want you to know if you're not a member of this church here tonight, if you are a guest, this teaching is not directed at you and it may not apply. And all the congregation said amen. That being said, we're not ashamed of it because it is the Word of God. It's what we believe. It's, and I think, candidly, I mean, everybody notices it anyway. They're like, are you Amish? Are you like, what are you people about? How come you guys, you know, what's up with that? You know, you got the hair, hair, hair everywhere. Uh, right? Um, you know, so people got the question anyway. So we, we're going to address it out of the Scriptures. We are not whacked. We are not nuts. We are not crazy. We are counterculture. We are counterculture, and we're not counterculture just because we want to be, like difficult and weird or strange. We are counterculture because when you follow the Bible, when you follow the Word of God, you are going to be different than the fallen world that you live in, and it's meant to be that way. God wants us to be different than the society and the world in which we live, and furthermore, we ought to be offering redemptive hope to the culture that we live in today that, by the way, is very mixed up, is very messed up. My question for you is culture's approach working for culture. Mm -hmm. Are people healthier than what they used to be? Are people mentally healthier? Are their families better off? We have less divorce. I mean, we got people. Are their lives coming together? Are they less addicted? No, none of those things are true because... Culture is sick and culture is hurting. And our nation, our country is in, in need of God. And we as God's people are not going to acquiesce to the culture in which we live. As a matter of fact, it is our job, listen up saints, to transform culture through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't win the world by becoming like the world. We win the world by becoming more like Jesus. Doing what Jesus wants us to do, doing God's will in every area of life. And if you come any other Sunday, we'll talk about 50 other ways that God works in our lives. But this tonight, last week we talked about hair. If you were not here, um, that will be on our website. It's on our website. We'll be on our website. And also, another thing, you're probably not aware of this, we now have a River of Life podcast. We have a River of Life podcast. It's through Apple iTunes. Look us up, River of Life. Uh, you should be able to connect through our website as well. If you go to our website, you'll go up under media. It used to say just video and a few other things. It now says podcast on our website. Click on that. And on your phone, mobile device, as you travel, wherever you're at, you can listen to the messages because they're going to be podcasted now. 
So if you were not here last week, um, that's already on our website. That's already podcasted. Um, and so I better go quick. Are you ready? Are you ready for the word of God? Um, now I'm going to teach for a while. I'm not going to teach for four hours. I'm not going to teach for two hours, but I'm not guaranteeing I'm going to teach less than one hour. Okay. <laughs> because I want to be very, very thorough. This is not a subject we deal with every single week. I want to be thorough. I want to give you Bible and I want to give you a biblical worldview and a rationale that comes out of the scripture as pertaining to clothing. So the very first question I want to begin with is this question. It is a valid question. It is a fair question. Fair-minded people could ask this question, and that is, does God care about our clothing? Does God care about our clothing? We are Christian people. Our desire and our passion is to serve Jesus, is to please Jesus, and we believe to go as far as to please Jesus in every area of our lives. So the question is, does God, does God even care? Does God care? Okay, I mean, Rev, you're going to get up and you're talk about clothes. Well, does God care about clothes? It's a great question that I'd like to answer out of the Bible. Genesis chapter number 3, and Genesis recognize, what, is the book, what does Genesis mean? What does the word Genesis mean? It means beginning. So in the book of Genesis, we find a wide variety of seed truths that begin in the Old Testament, and many of these truths begin in the Old Testament, and they'll walk their way throughout the entire Bible. And many truths that are introduced in Genesis, they are fulfilled all the way back in the book of Revelation. And it's like a tapestry, if you will, a thread and a theme that begins in Genesis, weaves its way through the entire Bible, all the way right to the book of Revelation. So Genesis is very powerful. It's very important. We have many, um, many times in terms of biblical interpretation, you have the principle of, of the law of first mention. The law of first mention means that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it is a powerful seed truth that will bear itself out throughout the remainder of Scripture. So, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 7. Notice with me, Adam and Eve. The Bible says in Genesis, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, I'm just going to excise a couple Scriptures out and, um, for our discussion tonight. And, and, and let's look at those. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 7. After Adam and Eve sinned, Right? They disobeyed God. What happened? The Bible says the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So when they sinned, their conscience was awake and they recognized, whoa, bad news, weird. We got no clothes on. Okay? And in result of that consequence, what did they do? Watch what they did. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. After they sinned, they recognized that they had made a mistake. They realized they were, now their conscience is awakened. They realized they're naked. They're feeling kind of weird about it. And so they clothed themselves. Notice the word. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What does that mean? I believe in your notes you have this. The, the word, the Hebrew word for the aprons that they made was a belt for the waist, a girdle, a belt, a girdle, a loin covering, a belt, a loin cloth. They made them a little loin, a little, little, little teeny tiny loin cloth. Get it? There's an old, old song. Some of you will remember. It's a itsy bitsy, teetsy weensy, yellow, something like that, teeny weeny. Yellow polka dot bikini. 
that's what they're wearing. It wasn't enough. I mean, this, it, you know, and, and, and folks, listen, crazier our world that our, our world gets, the more people are taking their clothes off. They just are. Not ashamed about it, bearing it all in public, which we're not here to scream against the darkness, but we are here to, what, what does the Bible say then? And, I mean, there are programs on television now and cable and, every, you know, naked and not ashamed. I mean, a whole entire, does anybody beside me think that's wacky? Oh, I mean, we're like going, what, are we going back to like the Garden of Eden? We're going to be like Adam and Eve running around like naked people everywhere? That's weird. Okay? But that's, that's, that's what they did. They, they put on a loincloth. They were minimalist. They didn't, put on, they didn't put on much clothes. And it's interesting, when, God, when the presence of God shows up and the presence of God shows up, you know what, what happens when God shows up? Listen, this is what happens when God shows up. Conviction shows up. Spirit of God, the Bible says they're getting ready to walk in the garden. All of a sudden, boom, they're naked. They got, and all of a sudden, they put on their little, their little bikini, their little loincloth, their little bit of clothes. They run out. And the Bible says when God said, hey, where were you? They said, we hid because we were naked. Wait a second. I thought you put clothes on. You didn't put enough on. Interesting to me, that was their statement. Even though they put it on, they didn't put enough on. Watch. Let's go to verse number 21. God in his mercy and in his kindness unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. And knows what God did. God said, I love you so much. I'm going to put clothes on you. We're going to get rid of that bikini, and we're going to put some real clothes on. And, and the Bible says in, in response to their lack of clothing, God said, I'm going to take care of you because I love you. He said, I'm going to give you a coat of skin. Notice, I believe it's in your notes. The, the Hebrew word is a garment, a robe, a long shirt-like garment, usually of linen, a coat, a robe. So my question is, was, and it's an obvious question, potentially rhetorical question, but was God satisfied with the clothes that Adam and Eve made for themselves? In fact, he was so dissatisfied that in his mercy, he personally got involved in their clothing choices. God said, this is what I'm going to give you to wear because what you're wearing is insufficient, doesn't work with me. God says, but I'm going to help you out. I'm going to, and he becomes the first fashion designer. He says, we're going to make some clothes for you. And he dressed them. And by the way, he dressed them the right way. And he created for them a physical covering for modesty's sake and uniquely a spiritual covering that was to point toward their future redemption because there was an animal killed in the process. There was blood. There was an animal killed. He closed them, and it's, he's also saying, I'm foreshadowing a covering that I'm going to bring into your life that's going to be a spiritual covering. But it wasn't just a spiritual covering. It was a natural covering. So, going back to the original question, does God care about our clothing? God care how, does he care how God's people dress? Okay, so, and again, I'm going I'm to play a game here a little bit, and, and forgive me. Not really. That's just kind of permission because I'm getting ready to say something sarcastic. But sometimes hyperbole is a good way to make example, okay? So, and I'll, I'll probably do that throughout this message. If God didn't care what we wear, then God would not care what we didn't wear. And nakedness would be acceptable if God doesn't care. What I would say is according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 21, is that God cared then, and he still cares now. The clothes that we wear matter to God. Okay, so we're going to deal with a few things. Well, pastor, God looks at the heart. Absolutely, you have my full and complete agreement. God does look at the heart. There is no question about it. Let's go to that scripture. 1 Samuel 
chapter 16 and verse number 7. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7. I've, I've heard this read many, many different times. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. God said, don't look on his height, don't look on his face, because I have refused him. Notice what he said here. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So, if this scripture is a contradiction to Genesis 3, which I don't believe that it is, if this scripture were a contradiction of that saying, that God doesn't care how I dress, if that's what, you know, God looks at the heart, he looks... You know, the man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So, i.e., in other words, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care how I dress. Then if that were true, then our worship team could worship God up right up here in front of God, the world, you, and the whole community in leotards and ballerina clothes. Let's, let's be real here. If you're saying that's what that scripture means, then Malcolm could lead worship in a dress. You. Hey. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Right? If God doesn't care, if that's what this verse is saying, that God doesn't care, then we could all, we could have a potluck where we just all have a beach party and we all show up in Speedos and bikinis. Don't go far with that kind of thinking. Amen. If, if, if that's what this is saying, that, you know, God looks at the heart, i.e., in other words, translated, meaning God doesn't care what you wear, then, then all of those things, I, I mean, Joe could wear a dress. God doesn't care. What I will say is this, what this scripture is saying, okay, I was talking to my wife about this earlier. It's called exegesis. Now, I mean, this is Bible study tonight, all right? Exegesis means that you read a passage of the Bible, you read the context, you read what it's saying. Now, we make application all the time, so we're going to talk about studying the Bible tonight. When you study the Bible, exegesis says, what is the placement of that verse? Who is it talking to? What is the context? What is that verse about? And if you really want to know what God's saying through the Word of God, because you don't want somebody to twist the Scripture... Because the Bible says there are those that twist the word of God that can make the word of God say something completely opposite of what it's really saying. So I have to put that verse in the context. We got a guy here that nobody believed was anything special. So all the other brothers, the, the, the next king of Israel, we have Samuel the prophet is there. The man of God is there with a cruise of oil. He's got anointing. He's getting ready to anoint the next king of Israel. And he, and he comes to Jesse, says, Jesse, bring your boys. And daddy thought so little of David that he didn't even call on him to come among his sons. He's just out taking care of the sheep. And he brings Eliab and the great big dudes. He's six foot six. He's, you know, broad-shouldered, narrow-hipped. He's strong. He's potent and powerful. And, and the prophet says, surely, man, this must be the Lord's anointed. You got the next brother, big rough-and-tumble leadership. I mean... He, he, he was captain of the varsity football team. He's a, he's a manly man, and he shows up, and, and Samuel says, surely, man, this has got to be God's anointed. And there's a little whisper voice inside of his spirit that says, no, he, he's not the one. And they go through all the brothers. None of the brothers are chosen, and Samuel's like, God hasn't given me the green light yet. Are we missing anybody? Well, yeah, we got this punk little kid. That's how much, that's what his dad thought about him. He didn't think he was anything of consequence and worth. 
And then he goes and gets them, and all of a sudden, little David shows up, young, sprightly young fellow, and the Lord speaks to him, speaks to the man of God and says, this is the next anointed of Israel. It wasn't his height. It wasn't his stature. It wasn't how, what, what, you know, it, it, it wasn't how tough that he looked. It, as a matter of fact, he looked very normal. He was young. He wasn't great of stature. And God saw beyond all that, and God saw his heart. God saw internally what his brothers didn't see, what his dad didn't see, and what even the prophet didn't see. And then we have the verse. Man looketh at the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh at the heart. It had nothing to do with David's clothing. Now you, get, you get the point that I'm making? He obviously wasn't dressing immodestly. He wasn't dressing wrong. He didn't, you know, show up in the wrong kind of clothing. In fact, there are scriptures that show that God really does care what we wear. So that scripture is not dealing with clothing. We okay? All right. In fact, what I would say tonight is that we who are God's people are to represent something. If a Christian man loves Jesus, let me, let me ask another maybe rhetorical question. Will a Christian man that loves Jesus represent well, Jesus well with tattoos all over his faith, face, a death metal shirt, and an address? Will a man represent Jesus well that way? I would argue no. If a Christian woman loves Jesus, will she represent Jesus well in a red mohawk and a studded leather bikini? I'll answer for you. No. Right? Those who bear God's ownership are uniquely called to be different. Amen? It's God's people. We're going to be different, reflective of a higher principle. The good news is that when Jesus buys us with his blood, he owns us. Lock, stock, and barrel. We belong to Jesus. That's good news. He bought us with his blood. He purchased us with his blood. He said, you're not worthy, but you know what? I love you, and I, I want you, and I want to save you, and I want to change you, and I'm going to give you my blood. My blood's going to wash away your sins. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to make you my own. I'm not going to re-preach my Sunday morning message. But he said, I'm going to make you my workmanship, my poema. I'm going to make you my masterpiece. I'm going to make you my greatest work of art. And I'm going to take you out of the trash. And I'm going to make treasure out of you. And I'm going to lift you up to the whole world so the whole world can see. God says, this is what I can do in somebody's life. I can take somebody addicted to drugs. I can pick them up, clean them up, fill them with my spirit, put joy in their life, and give them all of these wonderful things. And God says, this is my workmanship. This is my trophy, if you will. So God wants to use us to represent his goodness in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. I, I, was, I was reading this afternoon. It kind of caught me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Paul begins with what? You ever notice that? I mean, that's divine, it's a divinely inspired what? What? He's like, you know, it's almost, how would you explain that? What? Like, come on. Don't know ye not? He's like, what? Don't you get it? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Ah, 
I got to teach the spirit on me tonight. That means I got to be really careful. Because this could turn into four hours very quick. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. The temple was a big deal. You, don't, you didn't defile the temple. The temple was a big deal. The temple represented God to the world. When you came to the temple, the Old Testament temple, not everybody could just go stroll into the temple and just, you know, you know order a Domino's pizza and, and be slopping food all over yourself and get a two liter of Mountain Dew and just slug it down in the middle of the temple. Because the temple was God's property. It was something special. It was something wonderful. He said, now, okay, now, Christian folks, he said, now, your body is the temple. Make sense? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost now. Now, God bought you, and now your body is to be filled with the Spirit of God. He said, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And, and this, is, this is good. If you got a saint sitting next to you, say, you are not your own. You're not your own anymore. That means God reserves the right to direct your life now. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He wants to be more than just my Savior. He wants to be my Lord. We'll leave that one alone. That means he's the boss, I'm the applesauce. He's the Lord. You are not your own. Okay, 20, for you are bought with a price. You're bought with a price. You've been bought with the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, because you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God, notice with me, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. They are God's property. So worship God. He said, you've been bought with a price. Now Jesus owns you. He bought you with his blood. Now when you worship God, you worship God. This is what I mentioned earlier. You worship God, not just in your spirit. There was a false doctrine called Gnosticism that said, you know, it's just about him saving your spirit, and then that's divorced from any real reality. And you can, in other words, you can, once you're saved, just do whatever you want to do because the body doesn't matter. This scripture proves that to be this true, not true. Worship God, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Notice in your notes. Body, that means the external, the outside. So the outside does matter. We worship God in our body. What we do with our body matters. If I'm a Christian and I come and slug you right in the nose, that's probably not going to be a really good witness. What I do with this body matters, as well as what happens in my spirit, all right? So this scripture, the Bible teaches a concept throughout all of its pages, a theme from Genesis to Revelation, that there is a distinction of people. This goes beyond ethnicity, that there are two camps in the world. There are those that are connected to God, those that have been brought out of the world, those that have been saved by the grace of God that are part of the church. The church is the ecclesia. Literally, it means the called out ones. We are called, almost every single epistle in the New Testament is written to the church in Corinth. He calls them, he says, you're called to be saints. Not New England. It's not, not uh, you know, not like the Catholic church does. Not, not a saint like that. But we're called to be, that's real life human people. What is a saint? A saint, the word is hagios. It's the same place that we get the word holy. Saint, that means you are the holy ones. You are the separated ones. You are the sanctified ones. You are the ones that belong to God. You have been brought out of the world. Now, now you're God's property. Now you're God's ownership. He's brought you out of the world. He's cleaned you up, picked you up, filled you, blessed you, helped you to showcase you to the world. He's brought you out of all that. You're now a saint. You are special. And now you are, in some senses, oddly disconnected from the society that you live in. Why is that? Because this world is not my home. This 
The world's not my home. The Bible calls us sojourners. What does that mean? I'm on a journey. I'm just walking through this world. You say, where, 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 where were you coming tonight, Pastor? Were you coming to church? No, I wasn't coming to church. What about tomorrow? Where are you going tomorrow? I'll tell you where I'm really going. I'm going to heaven. And on my way to heaven, I'm going to stop by church. I may stop by Rapids Nutrition. I may stop by Walmart. I may go to a variety of places on my way to heaven. But really where I'm going is heaven. Everything else is immaterial. And I'm a sojourner that's walking through this world. That's why I'm not marrying myself to this world. That's why what this world thinks about me doesn't even matter a plug nickel when it comes to pleasing God. I'm not out to please the world. I'm out to please God because in the end, final analysis, the only thing that's going to matter is what does God think? So I am uniquely disconnected. And so we need to understand, especially that the closer that we get to God in a very dark generation, the closer that we get to God, the more odd that the church is going to appear. Think about it. The second largest denomination in the United States of America is the United Methodist Church. They are going through a massive split right now. It's going to happen right in Minneapolis this year. Do you know what the split in the middle of the United Methodist Church is about? Is whether they're going to ordain and allow homosexuals to be bishops in their church. That's the second largest denomination in America. What are you saying? I'm saying there are some battles that are going on. We are not interested in acquiescing to society. I, now, let me qualify. I don't mean being arrogant. I don't mean being rude. I don't mean being hateful. I don't mean being condemning. We're not going to condemn the world. If, if someone is struggling with any sin, let's not just pick out one. If somebody's struggling with, uh, you know, whatever sin, they're struggling with addiction, they're struggling with uh, uh, murder, they're struggling with theft, they're struggling with anything. If they're struggling with adultery, if they're struggling... All sin is wrong, but we're not going to cave to our society and say, okay, society, this is a big deal to you all. It runs contrary to the word of God, so we're going to change the church to fit the world. Friend, it will never work because the world's constantly going to be changing all the time. There's going to be something else. That's why you know where we're safe? We're safe in the word of God. We're safe in the word of God. Let everything else fall where it's going to, where it's going to fall. Again, I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not, I mean, we need to have the right spirit, love people, be kind, be generous, be gracious, all of that. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is we're not acquiescing to our culture and our world because we are the called out ones. We are the body of Christ. And so what that means is that God's people are going to be different than normal. They're going to look and say, man, your customs, your mindsets, your lifestyle practices, your preferences are way different than us. Whoa, you're weird. We say, praise God, hallelujah, God's been good to us, and we're after you. That's right, we are. Okay, so 1 Peter 2, I've got to go quick, 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen generation. Notice this is the New Testament. He's, he's speaking to the church. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. But look at your neighbor, you want to say this, you are peculiar. You're peculiar, peculiar people, that's what he said. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises, that you should, this is why, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yep, I'm different, but God brought me out. God changed me. I'm not what I used to be. Amen. God's changed my life. I'm not the same old person I used to be. I'm changed. I'm different. God's blessed me. I'm so thankful. I'm walking in the light now. Amen. Which in time past, notice, we're not a people. Before, we weren't. We weren't a people. But now, 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 we are the people of God. 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, he said, in light of this, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, see that same word, sojourners, strangers, pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. Now you're, you're in the church, you're out of the world, now be honest among the, among the people in the world, among culture. Now notice what it says. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers. Like, they're weird, man. They're different. That's okay. They may, by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. What are you saying? I'm saying our world needs hope. And if that light in me become darkness, how great is that darkness? Our world needs hope. Our world needs God. That's why what we choose to do is cling close to God, as close as we can get. If it makes us strange, so be it, because we're clinging to God. We're loving God, because what this world needs is this world needs God. And we're going to hold to Him, and we're going to shine. We're going to shine in our world, and we're going to say it is an honor that Jesus trusts all of us to represent Him to the world. Amen. And we are to be witnesses to society. Okay, so, Pastor, bring us back to close. All right, back to close. Here we are. The very concept of male and female, listen up. I don't need you to, I don't need to tell you this. You already know this. The concept of male and female is under attack. Right? Years ago, people said, oh, you people, you make such a big deal about this, you know, this clothing stuff and all this big deal. And we said years ago, hey, this blurring and this blending lends itself toward confusion. It lends itself toward confusion. Ah, you people are so, you know, knee-jerk, reactionary, all this and that. Folks, we were right because the Word of God is right. We were right because the Word of God is right. We talked about years ago. We, we are now to a point now we're dealing with your choice of personal pronouns, with, I mean, these are things that our, our precious children are facing, they're fighting, they're dealing with. It's, it's everywhere now. Gender reassignment, gender confusion, all of this blurring and this blending. I'm just, this is under attack. The concept of male and female is under attack. In addition to that, society has gotten naked. It's all out there. It's just all out there. So in this area, it doesn't matter. I believe that it does. In this area, it's a way to be redemptive in our society. Okay, Oprah last year was asked about, she, she was asked about some recent shootings a while back. Oprah Winfrey, which I normally don't go to for a lot of advice or information, but she said something that I thought was very powerful. This is what she said. She said, she said, she said, we need a moral center. This is what she said, her observation, shootings, all this, you know, all this mayhem that's going on in the world. She said, we need a moral center, and this is what she said, and I quote. She said, churches used to do that. She said it was a central place you could come to, and there was a core center of values about a way of living and being in the world. And this is what Oprah said. She said, until we return to that, we will continue to be lost. Wow. And that's what we're saying. We're returning to biblical values. And the darker the night, the crazier it's going to be in our world. Acts 17 and 6. I, I love this. This is, one of my, this is one of my, I've got tons of favorites, but I love this. 
The jealous Jews accused the apostolic church. These that have turned the world upside down. They were talking about the apostolic church. These that have turned the world upside down have come here, have come hither. These that have turned the world upside down. They looked at the church and they said, church, you've turned the world upside down. That was their testimony. I'd like to contradict that a little bit. And I would like to say the church doesn't turn the world upside down. The church turns the world right side up. <laughs> These that have turned the world upside down. No, what we're really doing is God's principles is helping us to turn the world right side up. In other words, we're redefining reality from God's perspective. Amen. So, clothing. Back to clothing. Of course, when people come into the church or contact Pentecostals, they notice that the clothing choices are different. Should that surprise us? I believe that's why it's good to know why. What does the Bible have to say about these things? Allow me to say this in passing because I think it's very, very important. I haven't gotten into my subject yet. Very important, though. Anyone is welcome to come to church here. We welcome everybody. Everybody. Anybody is, is welcome here. We welcome all people. Doesn't matter what you're struggling with. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter the kind of sin in your life. Because that's the way God is. You can come to God. He'll take you as you are. He won't leave you there. He'll take you as you are. We want to be that way as a church. We love all people. Make no mistake about it. We love you. We won't condemn you. We won't push you away. Anyone can come. But we that are God's people understand that God is, when he begins to work in our life, is going to change us. All right. Um, Jazzy, can you bring Vienna's post? And I did get her prior permission. Vienna, who we're so, we're so thankful for Vienna, what God's doing in her life. So glad she's a part of the family of God. So thankful. And she's got such an incredible hunger for God. I've been praying that this is literally a prayer that I've had lately, that God would send our church uh, powerful world changers. I've been praying, God, give us another Apostle Paul. So, But he's sending people that are very, very hungry. Vienna had not yet been baptized, had not yet received the Holy Ghost, was coming to church. And I got, Can I tell you the story? I got to tell you the story. Take it down just for a second. Give me a second. First time I met Vienna, I'd never met her before. My kids had talked to me about her. And my wife and I were on date night, and we pulled up to Caribou Coffee and uh, showed up at the window there, and, and Vienna was at the window. And she looked, and she said, are you Caleb's mom and dad? I said, you know, I'm looking in the room. I said, yes, we are. She said, yay, yay. <laughs> That's what she did. She said, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And she said, and I'm coming to your church. I was like, cool. <laughs> Every day, you know, you get that kind of greeting at. Whoa, that's powerful outreach. I didn't have that way every time. But she's hungry for God. She so shows up for church. And, uh, well, the first time I came off the platform, I think maybe her second or third time here, she looked at me and she said, I want to do what you do up there. That's what I want to do. I'm like, awesome. God bless you. Okay, so here's her post. This is what Vienna said. She's brand new. She hadn't even been baptized yet. Uh, I'm going to read it quickly because the, the last line is probably the most important. I've never been the one to wear skirts or dresses, but something has changed. I love it. Did anybody talk to you about this, Vienna? Did anybody say, hey, if you're going to come here, you know? No, nobody said a single word, right? Going into River of Life, I was nervous about wearing them because I used to feel uncomfortable, but I realized something. It is a proclamation. A proclamation. Yes, I follow Christ, and yes, I go to this church, and I'm more than proud to wear a skirt or dress every day that I possibly can as a voice that says, yes, Jesus, I follow you. 
The next thing that I realize is that it is something that constantly reminds me that I want to live for Jesus. It reminds me to remain loving toward others even when I feel stressed or hungry. We were on a three-day fast. <laughs> to which, at the end, God filled it with the Holy Ghost, and I think it's pretty cool. I do not have to wear skirts to follow Jesus, but I do feel like it allows me to say what I've never been able to say before. And I want to, clo- I want to quote this. My clothes dress me in my beliefs. Wow. That's powerful. Whoa. <laughs> like... <laughs> over with. All right. Go, let's go quick. Let's throw these pictures up real quick. All right, Jazzy, next picture. I don't know who it is. Boo. We have a non-Viking fan. Well, how do you know it's the Vikings? It says Vikings. The colors, maybe. The jersey. Okay, next one. Yeah, there he is. He's wearing the brand. Okay, next picture. Oh, we got some fans. <laughs> we just split the house. How do, how do you know that's a Green Bay Packer? He's, wear, he's wearing the brand. Okay, next picture. Who, who's this guy? It's Jed, the UPS guy. How do you know he's a UPS guy? He's wearing the brand. Next picture. What's this guy? How do you know? <laughs> My ladies are like, he's handsome. How do you know? He's wearing the brand. Next. What's that? That's an apostolic Pentecostal girl. She look ashamed. She don't look ashamed to me. She's wearing the brand. I'm talking about demonstrating God's word in principles in a real way in the 20 first century because we want to because we want to please God. Amen. All right, quickly, here we go. I keep saying that quickly. (laughs) I'm really talking to myself. How does God direct us in our life choice? Okay, how does God direct us? Okay, number one, I think this is in your notes, the Word of God. God directs us the Word of God, specific commands and and principles. We'll get into that. Commands and principles, it's both. And I'm going to explain to you the difference between a command and a principle and why they're both significant. A command is black and white. God says this. A principle is truth in a seed form that is applied to a situation. I'm going to talk to you about what that means. Very important, though. It's important to distinguish the two. Number one, the Word of God. Number two, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. How many is thankful for the Holy Ghost? God gives us the Holy, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. His Spirit takes the Word and applies it to our heart. It brings conviction, like Lane talked about. It brings conviction. The Spirit begins to talk to us. That whole time God's talking to her, That's the Spirit, the Spirit of God. God speaks to us through the the Word of God, the Spirit of God. And number three, God speaks to us through the man of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the man of God. You say, now, man of God, I don't know what I think about that. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Hebrews 13 and 17 says, Submit and obey to them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. So, really, the, the word pastor is shepherd. Now, with a small s, a little s. A little s because the big s is the boss. The big s is the chief shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Shepherd. 
But God set up the system. I didn't set it up. It's what God said. And, and frankly, I didn't ask to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. And it's not, it wasn't my desire. It's not what I want to do. God's, God's, he's the boss. That's what, okay, fine. So the chief shepherd is over the under shepherd. And God gives a shepherd over a flock to bring spiritual directives that may be unique to that congregation, that region, that area, that geography, to bring leadership and direction. Now, I'm not going to ask for attaboy because it gets a little weird about that. All I'm saying is the Word of God says it's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the man of God. And that's why, and I will say, it's important that you have a good pastor in your life. You need a good pastor in your life. I've told people through the years, if, if you can't get along here, that's fine. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. That's fine. Someday I'll die. Somebody else will be in here. That's fine, I think. <laughs> you know, all that. At the end of the day, though, you, you, you got to have confidence and trust in the man of God in your life that his motives are right, his heart is right, and his desire for you is only good. No pastor wakes up like, hmm, how can I make the people I lead miserable? Sounds fun. That's a weirdo. Okay? Those are the people you run from. Okay? And by the way, I, I, frankly, I like to pastor in the way that I would like to be pastored. I just think that's, that's the way it should be done. Okay, so those are the three things. What are the main, okay, so let's, we got to get close. Let's get to close. What are the main biblical principles that govern our clothing choices? What are the biblical principles? Okay, so if you're saying God says clothes matter, how does God show us how our clothing choices matter? There are two principles I want to talk about very quickly. We're going to go through here very quickly. There are two principles in the Bible that govern what kind of clothes should we wear. The two principles, number one, are distinction. What I mean by distinction is sexual distinction, distinction of the genders, and the second principle is the principle in the Bible of modesty, okay? So let's get into gender and sexual distinction. Gender distinction. Now, understand... When the Bible talks about gender distinction, it is a principle in the Word of God. So, you said you're going to get into that. So, what does that mean? What does a principle in the Word of God mean? Let me give you an example. The Bible does not say when it relates to alcohol, it does not give you a list of the types of alcohol that you should not drink, in case you didn't know that. You're like, in my Bible reading, it said, thou shalt not drink margaritas. I don't drink vodka, because the Bible says thou shalt not drink vodka. You will not find that in the Bible. Amen? It does not say thou shalt not drink rum, whiskey, vodka, beer, bourbon, Jack Daniels, Seagram's, Old Milwaukee. You know why? It doesn't, it doesn't have to tell us to name every liquor. It gives us principles in Proverbs 23 and in many other places. It gives us a principle that we apply and when we apply that principle into our life, then God doesn't have to have a book, a stack of books. Can you imagine if God had to name every single singular? Okay, let's take another topic. How about movies? The Bible does not say, in case you didn't know, don't watch Fifty Shades of Grey. It doesn't say that. The Bible is nowhere in the Bible. Well, see, there you go, preach. It doesn't say thou shalt not watch Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm going to watch Fifty Shades of Grey. The Bible doesn't say it. The Bible does not say that you shouldn't watch Sex in the City. It doesn't say that you shouldn't watch Saw. You know what that movie is? I hope you don't. It's because it's as it sounds. Saw. Yeah, a horror movie about somebody that chops people up with a saw. 
Yeah, that's what the movie, they have sequels. Can you, can you imagine? Should a Christian watch a movie about somebody having a saw and chopping them up into little pieces? Well, who are you to say that? The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not watch saw. Well, it doesn't specifically name it, but there sure is a whole lot of principles. It does nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt not watch a rated R movie or a rated X movie. Are you catching what I'm throwing? But it does say, I will put no evil thing before my eyes. Right? I will put no evil thing before my eyes. So that way, God says, I don't have to write a book. Can you imagine if he had to write a book that had every, okay, here we're adding to the movie list this week. And God's like, okay, here's Spanish, here's German, you know, here every language in the world. If God had to write every prohibition, exact, he didn't do that. He said, but i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the word of God, and I'm going to give you a principle in the word of God that will work cross-generationally. It'll work cross-geographically. It'll work through all time periods. You take the principle, I will set no evil thing before my eyes, and it works in Germany. It works in China. It works in India. It works in Iran. It works in the United States of America. It is a principle of the word of God. Does that make sense? The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not smoke methamphetamines. It doesn't say it. Look for it. It's not there. It doesn't say, don't smoke crack. It doesn't say, you know, don't, don't snort crank. It doesn't say that anywhere. The Bible also doesn't name consensual pedophilia. It doesn't mention pornography. It doesn't mention drug use. It doesn't mention bestiality, New Testament at least. But you know what it does? We got a whole bunch of principles in the Word of God. Because if God had to name every single sin and how it applies in our generation, your Bible, would, would you'd have to go to the library to lead, read your Bible because it would fill every shelf of the, of, of the library. So what are you saying? I'm saying God gives universal principles that are applicable in all cultures and time periods. Are you with me? Universal principles that are applicable to all cultures and all time periods. Let me give you one more example before we get further into our lesson. Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. Let's, let's talk about this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Okay. If you couldn't make an application of biblical principle out of that verse, then you would lose the principle and ultimately you would lose the truth. What are you saying? I'm saying there's no place in the Bible that says thou shalt not say the F word. It doesn't say, thou shalt not drop the F-bomb because that's a bad thing. It's, it does not say, thou shalt not say the S-word. I mean, how creative do we have to be here? It does, not, it does not give a list of prohibited words. Thou shalt not say this word and this word. But what do we have? We have a verse in the Bible that says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And guess what? That principle it works in China, it works in Iran, it works in the United States, it works in Mexico, it works in every language, it works in every place. The seed truth of the scripture in principle form that says nothing corrupt should come out of my mouth. That governs and says because nothing corrupt comes out of my mouth, then I need to apply that, that I should not say the F word. Well, preacher, it doesn't say thou shalt not say the F word, so I can say the F word. No, the principle says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And so, if I were to say, well, because it doesn't say that, at some point, if you never, listen, real close, real close, if you never made an application of biblical principle, if you never applied 
the principle, you would lose the truth. That's deep. If no word is prohibited because the Bible doesn't give us the exact word, then we would do away with the principle and therefore we lose the truth if we never applied that principle to the modern context of our lives and our culture. That's powerful. That's a powerful, powerful truth about biblical principle. So my point tonight is God's word is universally applicable. And if you don't apply the principle, you lose the truth. If no word is off limits, if no drug is off limits, if no sex act is off limits, if no clothing is off limits, you've lost the word of God and nothing matters. So relating this to clothing, does the Bible specifically tell us what kind of clothes to wear? Does, when you open your Bible, I know we have pictorial Bibles, but when you open the Bible, does it have pictures from magazines to guide us? Does it say, thou shalt not wear this clothes, don't wear this, here's a picture, here illustrates, here's what you should wear. Here's... No, because the Bible would be as big as your library. This is very, very important. Does the Bible say, the Bible, listen, the Bible does not say that a woman should wear a skirt or a dress. Be very, very clear. The Bible nowhere says that a woman should wear a skirt or a dress. The Bible also says nowhere that a man should not wear a dress. Nowhere does it say that. According to that logic, I could be preaching in a dress tonight. It'd be gross. Weird, unfitting. Although culture would say, go for it, man. It's cool. Whatever. The Bible does not say that. But listen, 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 listen. It doesn't mean that God doesn't address it, though. God gives us a pertinent and a powerful principle out of the Word of God that is to be applied to every culture. Deuteronomy 22.5. Go there with me. Deuteronomy 22.5. Listen to what the Scripture says. The woman shall not wear that which wear. Oh, we're talking about clothing now. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. The woman should not wear what pertains unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. The woman shall not wear that which pertains or has anything to do with a distinctly male garment. Neither shall a woman put on or shall a man put on a woman's garment. A man, a man should not wear woman's clothes, and a woman should not wear man's clothes. Well, why? why? Why does God address that? God said, all that do so, listen very closely. If you've got your notes, you've got your Bible, underline this. For all that do so, listen to the word, are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. That is very strong, Corey. The word abomination, you can't get a more strong word than that. The word abomination means something that God detests. It means something that God hates. God hates this. What is, according to this scripture, what does God hate? God hates cross-dressing. It would be, according to this scripture, completely inappropriate for me to put this, I don't even want to get near me. It would be completely inappropriate for me to wear, okay, so you say, okay, like red, like, okay, you're in the Old Testament law, what's that have to do? It is abomination. That's universally applicable. That means if God hated it then, he hates it now. Okay, you say, what about ceremonial law? Ceremonial law is a completely different thing. Let me, let me use a little logic here. You're saying, well, that's Old Testament. Does that, that, that really matter? So what you're saying is then that I can. I'm a man that I can wear a dress. You don't believe that. No, because the principle, this is something that God hated then. 
It's something that God hates now. God hates it. He doesn't change. Why does God hate this? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, I want to get into this. Why does God hate it? Because God in the beginning made them male and female. He made a man to be a man. He made a woman to be a woman. He made them both unique. He made them both special. He created those genders. It was God's design. And Satan, since the beginning of time, has wanted to screw up God's design. He's wanted to pervert. He's wanted to deceive. He's wanted to mess up God's original plan. That's what Satan has wanted to do all along. And you cannot get any more fundamental than the fundamental assignment that God gives of a person's gender. That's why in many ways it's sad. I'm not here to, I'm not here to, I mean, there's so many people that are mixed up in our world today. But we, we, we don't help our world by going, hey, it don't matter, just do your thing. Yeah, you want to get a sex change, get a sex change, that's, that's fine. No, God made us male and female. So right here he says, a woman should not wear that which pertaineth unto man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment for all that do so are an abomination of the Lord. Transvestitism is the practice of dressing and acting in a style or manner traditionally associated with the opposite sex. Throw up that next picture, Jazzy. Transvestitism. No, next one. A little revolting. Next picture. We never dreamed it would, it would come to this, but there it is. In fact, I've got a quote here somewhere. Oh, how did they say it? Fashion's last taboo. That's what they called it. This picture here, it's a, it's a fashion runway, and the capture, even the world knows. The fashion industry, even they know. They, their, their quote on this is fashion's last taboo. What does that mean? The last taboo. When we cross over the line, that we take a strictly feminine garment, which definitely is a skirt or a dress, and we now put that on a man. Even the fashion industry realizes this is taboo. This is off limits. And of course, every, every line has been crossed over, and now they've crossed over it that way. Fashions last taboo. Next picture. I'm wondering if these are in order. No, we gotta go backwards. I want the, that's the picture I was looking for. Anybody who know, who know who this is? It's Rodman. Is it, ain't he cute? Old Dennis Rodman. I think there's another picture. It's Dennis Rodman. Not here to criticize him. It, I mean, really, it's, what are you saying? I'm saying that the gender blending, the, it's offensive, and Rodman knows that, and that's why he's doing it. He's doing it to make a point. He said, I'm making a point. I'm wearing a wedding dress. Here I am. He's making a point. And I think we, we all get the point. Okay, so let's, let's deal with this question. Why is cross-dressing problematic? Blending, blurring, and confusing the genders of people. Here's, here's the statement I want to make. It may be in your notes. If not, you can write it down. Clothing serves as a line of demarcation, a protective wall between and a protective measure for gender. God chose it that way. That's why I said, man, don't wear women's clothes. Women don't wear men's clothes. God said, I didn't say that. That's what God said. And when those walls begin to crumble, gender confusion enters the vacuum. Welcome to America. Church, this stuff matters. It matters. It matters because it matters to God. All right? Sticking with a biblical directive matters to God. Job 40 and verse number 6. Interesting. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, notice what God said to Job, Job, gird up thy loins now, 
like a man. Huh, I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Gird up the loins was a way that man would pull a part of his robe into his legs, tuck it into his belt in such a way that it made breeches, a breech-like effect. This has traditionally been true, and especially in a Western culture, for hundreds and hundreds. This is not like a 50-year thing. For hundreds and hundreds of years, men wore breeches. 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 Men wore pants. The old idiom that went like this, right? The old idiom, you, you can tell who wears the pants in the family. Jane bosses her husband around something scandalous. It's clear that she wears the breeches in the family, Right? Person may say, I don't intend to let my wife wear the pants in the family. That's out of the McGraw-Hill Dictionary of American Idioms. This idiom generally applied to women and dates from the mid-1500s, a time when they wore only skirts, equates pants with an authoritative and properly masculine role. And that traditionally was true in America. My, my mother was born in 1951, and she said when she went to school, all the girls, when they went to school, they, they all wore dresses and skirts which is, is astounding to me, even as a young person when I was young. Once was young, now I'm old. Um, but it, culture even had that. Culture got that thing. You look back, well, you can't do that in a skirt. Well, women did for hundreds and hundreds of years. They rode horses. They, they downhill skied. <laughs> I skated. They did everything because that's, that's the way it was. Well, why was it like that? Because our nation was built more on a biblical directive. The farther that kicked God out of school, kicked the Bible out of school, kicked, can't have Ten Commandments around, can't have any of this, but we get farther and farther away from the Word of God, should we be surprised that it ends up, ends up with gender dysphoria and complete confusion? Should that surprise us? I'm not surprised by it, but we've got to, again, understand historical context as well as the biblical directive. It, it matters. It, this, this stuff matters. The men used to wear the pants. This has been hijacked, and in recent history has changed. What I would say is this, when it comes to sexual distinction in our culture, and it, it shows based on that picture that was just put up there, that even the fashion industry said the last bastion. What do they say? That in our culture, dresses and skirts are undoubtedly feminine apparel. Am I making sense? In our culture. You're not going to see me wearing that. Thank God. Dresses and skirts are distinctly female apparel. I, I'm going to just pass by a lot of this stuff here. Is it, is it unique to us that when Bruce Jenner becomes Caitlyn Jenner and he changes his sexual orientation, not just his orientation, but his literal, his definition, he has a, a surgery, he's taking hormones that makes him a woman. Is it any surprise when, he, when, when Bruce becomes Caitlyn, what clothes does he start wearing? Well, women's, what's that mean? He starts wearing a dress and he starts wearing a skirt. That, that's the rec because there's a recognition that a dress or skirt is feminine apparel. So, you say, ah, oh, man, Rev, I don't know what I think about all that. I don't know if God think, cares about all that. If God didn't care, then DJ could come to church in a skirt. He could come to skirt, church in a dress if God didn't care. You would have no rationale to say if it was wrong if distinction didn't matter. Guys put on dresses. What's going to happen, church, when they come out with men's dresses? Everything has become unisex, androgynous. Everything, you know, everything is just blurring of all lines, right? Guess what? I'm not unisex. I'm one sex. I'm a man. 
That's what God made me to be. Ladies, if you're a lady, God made you to be that. Here's what I would say. When you're at any airport in the nation, now throw that next, next one up there, Jazzy, the, the bathroom one. Okay? So if, if you're any, any bathroom, in, if you go to Calcutta, India, and you don't speak their language, any, you want to find the men's bathroom, you look that, you want to find the men, women's bathroom. Next one. Women's bathroom. We don't have to look any farther than the bathroom door. It's that simple. A five-year-old can understand that, right? Why? Because there's a distinction between the two. So we're saying, as God's people, we want to live that distinction. If I'm a man, I'm going to wear pants. If you're a woman, you wear a dress or a skirt. And therefore, we're taking the principle in the Bible and we're living the principle in the Bible. You say, well, the bathroom door. I tell you what's pretty unique because that doesn't even matter anymore. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He didn't just say worse. He said worse and worse. But he said, Continue thou on the things that thou hast learned. Things are getting darker out there, folks. See what's happening? They're even infringing on that. If you identify as a woman, a man can go into a woman's bathroom. It is still an outrage to me. This stuff ticks me off so bad. I, I, I mean, I'm like, I, I didn't go into Target for probably a year or two years. I don't walk foot in there. Kids are like, Dad, you're overreacting. I'm not overreacting. It ticks me off because it's intentional. It's not like, oh, it's, it's, it is intentional. In a boardroom somewhere, people were making decisions. We're going to change our culture, and we're going to change our culture. And if somebody says they're a woman, even they're, they're, though they're a man, they can go into the woman's bathroom. I've got three daughters. i got a problem with that. i got a problem with that. I don't want some pervert going in there saying, I'm a woman. I'm a woman. He's a guy. He's a red-blooded American man. Where is that going to end? Our kids in our high schools, that means that in the dressing room in the shower area, that some guy can just come in and say, I'm a woman today. Well, yeah, every 15-year-old red-blooded hormonal young male is going to be, I'm going to be a girlfriend today. Oh, but there were lines, there were boundaries, and those boundaries are being disrespected. You see how far this breakdown has gone? Again, you see, you see the total confusion of our world today? What I'm saying is there's a way out of the insanity. Thank God we choose to please God. We choose to live the way God wants us to live. I mean, it's, it's going to make us different. It's okay. It's okay, though. And I want you to know apostolic. If you're a guest here, like I said, this doesn't apply to you. I'm not in your stuff. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to whatever. I'm just glad you're here if you're a guest. This doesn't apply to you. But church of the living God, listen up. This matters. If it sets us at variance and people don't understand, that's okay. Because we do what we do for the Lord. Our men wear pants and our women wear dresses and skirts because they are sexually distinctive clothing. That's why we do it. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. Deuteronomy 22.5 is the principle that we apply to our culture. If you don't apply it that way, then literally there's nothing that's off limits. You understand what I'm saying? Does it, I mean, does it make sense logically? If you're saying that doesn't make any sense, it doesn't really matter, then literally we could have all our men show up in church wearing dresses on Sunday. It'd be an outrage. I'm saying it matters. The Word of God says it matters. All right, second principle, and we will wrap up with this, this last principle. So what governs our clothing? So what kind of clothes? What does God say about my clothes? Are my clothes distinctive? Am I wearing distinct apparel? Distinct to a gender. Second one is modesty. 
Why is modesty crucial? Now, this is, this is a very uh, basic question. But, I mean, I'm just a simple person, very simple person. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day, and it was so simple, I shared it with my wife. I'm like, this is just very simple. Okay, here's my question for you. What is the purpose of clothing? To cover us. Isn't that the pur- I mean, that's like the purpose. The purpose of clothing is to clothe us. Clothe, well, clothe us from what? From nakedness. Without clothes, we are naked. With clothes, we are covered from our nakedness. All the way back to Genesis chapter number 3. That's the, I mean, I know, I know, I'm simple. Clothing covers our nakedness. Listen very closely. The farther, Genesis 3 proves this, the farther people get from God, the more they take their clothes off. Okay, watch Luke 8, 26. This is a unique, this is scripture, so help you. They arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which, which was over against Galilee. When he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time. He's, he's demon-possessed. This dude's out of his mind, nuts, crazy, running through the tombs like a wild man. And notice, parenthetically, it's interesting that the rite of Scripture, divine inspiration, gives us, comma, and wear no clothes, comma. He didn't wear clothes. He's naked. He's full of the devil. He's, he's naked, running around like a crazy man, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. He's running around the tombs with dead stuff and dead, you know. He's all by himself. He's nuts. He's out of his mind. He's insane. He's full of the devil. He's naked, running around everywhere. When he saw Jesus, 28, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee. The devil's talking out of him. Torment me not. Then the devils went out of the man and entered into the pigs, the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. You know, some pigs are smarter than people. Pigs said, We ain't putting up with this. This guy. Okay, so verse 34. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it to the city and the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed. Now this is after Jesus cast the devil out of him. He's standing there. They come out and they're like, man, that crazy man, he's, he's not crazy anymore. He, Jesus showed up and Jesus has delivered him. Man on whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Farther, farther we get from God, the more the devil influences, the more the clothes go flying off. That's why it's no wonder in our culture today does not surprise me. I mean, nothing should surprise you anymore. But when you come to Jesus, you start putting your clothes back on. We move away from nakedness. It's obvious We move away from nakedness. Okay, so here's another question. Let's work through this rationally, okay? You don't cover your face, right? I want you to think through this with me because this is is the exercise that I've been going through lately. We don't put a bag on our head in case you're really not feeling good, I guess, maybe. You know, put a couple holes in there. It's a bad day. I'm not feeling too good today. No, we 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 don't cover our face. We don't cover our hands. Well, what do we cover? We cover the trunk of our body, primarily. Why do we primarily cover the trunk of our body? It's our private area, right? The trunk. So so the main part of our body, the, the goal is we're moving away from nakedness. The sexual or reproductive areas, are we cover those areas. I know, you're, you're like, Rev, you're breaking this down so basic. 
I am, though. There's a reason. So furthermore, the goal is to protect the covering or the clothing of those areas of your body. The farther culture gets away, the more everything begins to creep. It all creeps. It creeps up, 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 up. It creeps this way until everything is exposed. I've, I've logically made this statement before, and, and it's, I don't know, the culture certainly doesn't think about it, but when people go to a beach, I want you to think about what would happen if, if let's just not talk about the women, let's talk about both. A guy goes to the store and buys, uh, you know, those bikini underwear, puts them on, and starts walking through Walmart. Howdy doody. How y'all doing? If a woman was to put on bra and panties, come out of the dressing room and just walk around. Welcome to a beach. They'd be like, oh, you can't do that. You can't wear, you can't wear your underwear around. That's what a beach is. Much people run around in their underwear. We don't, even, we don't even think twice about it. So, what is the principle in the Word of God? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8. I will, I like this part, precedes men, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubt. God, guys, we need to be worshipers. Mike Tribbett's our men's director. I, I, I'm waiting for a huge amen. Amen, Mike? Amen. Our men, we lead in worship. That's what he said. Guys, lift up your hands. No wrath, no doubting. You demonstrate your godliness and your worship. Verse number nine, in like manner also, in the same way, ladies, guys have a challenge with this. We have a challenge with anger. We have a challenge with cynicism and criticism and doubt. So we, and we have a problem with our hands sometimes. We get physical. We, get, we deal with that. We worship God in purity. In like manner, in the same way that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Oh, whoa, God just talked again about clothes. Does the clothes matter to God? Enough that he gave us divinely inspired scripture in the New Testament. He gave us a principle of the Word of God, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So the Word is modest, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. We'll get into that in the weeks to come. Modest, what does that mean? Proper, well-ordered, admirable, propriety, moderation, respectable. What does shamefacedness mean? It means self-conscious modesty, not attracting undue attention. There's an attitude here. It's not brazen. It's not wild. It's not ostentatious. He said, he said, in sobriety, what does that mean? A reasonableness, a decency, a moderation. I tell you what, I want to thank God for the beautiful sisters in Christ in this church that exemplify this principle. My hat is off to you. I thank God for you. In a world, in a world that tells, unfortunately tells women that the only way that you can get attention is to become sexually seductive and take it off. I thank God that there are godly women that are walking through our world today in contrast to that principle and saying God's way is the best way. I want to be honorable before God. And so a godly woman, according to this scripture, has a sense of decorum, decency, and respectability. Modesty causes a godly woman to cover up. Our culture says put it all on display. Godly woman says, no, I belong to God. One of the last scriptures that I want to give, so it gives us another principle. So what, is, what does that mean? How can we apply this? Isaiah 47 and 2. Take the millstones and grind meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. He's talking about judgment. He said judgment is coming, and when it comes, the thigh is going to be uncovered. 
And then in verse number three, what does he call that? He says, calls that nakedness. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. He said, your nakedness will be uncovered when you uncover the thigh. Where is the thigh? Basically from this point to the reproductive area. Am I making sense? From the knee up to the reproductive area. That's the thigh. That's the inner thigh. <laughs> I don't feel like doing some more teaching here. Our kids that are dating, there are some places that somebody's hand never belongs. It's just, it don't belong there. And we also don't uncover it. Because if it's not for sale, you don't put it in the window. If it ain't for sale, we don't put it in the window. We're not advertising. We're not for sale. Right? Don't bear the thigh. That's why modesty, I believe there should be a modesty. Length of clothing does matter. Again, apply it. There should be, cover the trunk, the main part here. It should tend toward the long side of things. To cover, right? Isn't that decency and decorum? Not making bare the thigh? Not, I mean, wearing clothes that are revealing, tight. I'm making sense. So, these are the principles of the Word of God. The two principles are modesty and distinction, sexual distinction. That's how we know. That's the principle. Does God care about our clothes? I believe the Bible shows that He does. So, how should, we, how should we dress for spiritual success? Here's the Word of God. There are the two principles, modesty and distinction. What do you say we wear the brand? Let's stand together tonight. I want to end with this final scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse number 9. I read it early. I want to read it again. But you, church of the living God, are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and holy nation. You're a special people. You're a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That's what you used to be. But now you're walking in the light of Jesus. You've been pulled out of the darkness now you're walking in the light, which in time past were not a people. We used to just run with the crowd and do what everybody else did, but now we are with the people of God, which in the past had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God showed his mercy in my life, and he washed my sins away, and I'm in the church now. I'm a peculiar people. I'm a holy nation. I'm a chosen generation. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, Paul's writing to them with that idea in mind, because you're special to God. Beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation or your lifestyle, practical Christianity played out. Honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, which they behold. And then they, when they see your good works, will glorify God in the day of visitation. Could it be one of the greatest forms of evangelism? As when the world looks at us and says, you're weird and you're different in this way. And we say, yeah, we are because God's changed us. God's changed us. I want this church to know that God has called you out of this world to be a billboard for Jesus Christ. A walking billboard for the glory of God. And people are going to look and say, well, man, how come you got it all together? How come, how come your marriage is working? How come your life is working? And you can say, guess what? God's been good to me. And the Bible says that they will glorify God in the day of visitation.
Church, there's a visitation that's coming. It's called a revival where God's going to begin to call this city. And they're going to, they may have castigated and criticized you in the past, but all of a sudden, God's going to touch their life and they're going to be next to you in the altars, glorifying God on the day of visitation, saying, man, now I'm one of you. Now I'm a Pentecostal too. I'm an apostolic too because God's been good to us. You feel that way tonight? We put our hands together and worship our God tonight.